Well, hello, welcome wherever you're joining us from today. My name's Jonathan, one of the pastors here at Red Door. If you have a Bible, I'd love you to turn it to Matthew chapter 11. That's where we're going to be taking our reading from today. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who are you at heart? Like, who are you in your very essence, right down in the depths of your being, who are you? How would you even begin to go about answering that question? If you're like me, this has kind of puzzled you over the years as you've tried to figure out who you are in essence, who you are at heart. Like once we take away, once we peel back all of the layers, once we remove all of the social media posturing and all of the Instagram filters who are you at heart? If you're like me, you've used various tools to try and figure out the answer to this question. Uh, many years ago, I did the Myers-Briggs test and the DISC test. And uh, recently I did the Enneagram. And just last night I did the Big Five personality test. And all of these tools that we use are trying to get at the central question, who am I? In essence, at heart, who am I? The purpose of this teaching series that we're doing at the moment is for us to figure out who is God in essence, at heart, at the center of who he is, who is he? And the reason we wanted to do this is because we find ourselves in very turbulent times. We find ourselves being th thrown around in the waves, as it were, and many of us are looking for some solid ground to stand on. And so we thought it would be a good idea to go back to who God is in his essence, the unchangeable yesterday, today, tomorrow essence of who God is, the, the I am-ness of God. And so we did that in the first week, looking at Psalm 23, the fact that God is with us. That's who he is. His very nature is to be imminent, close, shepherd-like with us. And then last week we looked at Romans chapter 8, the last part of chapter 8, and saw that God is for us. That That's in his very essence and nature, to be for us, working all things for our good, such that nothing can separate us from his love, securing us as his people for all time into eternity. 
And today we want to look at who God is at heart, in the very essence of his nature. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not just talking about part of us, like the, my heart is part of me, an, an aspect of me. That When the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the very essence of who we are, the very seat of all of our motivations. Our heart is what mobilizes us to do everything that we do. Our heart is what, as Dane Ortland says, gets us out of bed in the morning. It's what we daydream about during the day and what we drift off to sleep thinking about at night. That's the, the heart is what's motivating all of that. Jesus says that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And in Proverbs 4.23, it says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. So the Bible's view of the heart is that it is the very center and essence of our being. It is who we are, who we are at heart. Now the question of who God is, the purpose of this whole series to get to the, the really the, the root and the center the animating source of who God is. But it poses the question, how would you even go about answering that? How would you go about ascertaining who God is in his very being? Well, again, the Bible tells us that if we want to know what God is like, then we should look to Jesus. Jesus was God in human flesh. Jesus came to reveal God to us. Jesus, as the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1 verse 3, Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact impression of of his nature. And Jesus himself said some wild things about just how much he uh, radiated the very essence of God. He said things like in John's Gospel, in John 10 30, he said, I and the Father are one. And in John 14 7, he said, If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If you've seen Jesus, if you know Jesus, then you have seen and know God himself. Jesus came to reveal God in his very essence. Now, the really interesting thing is that in 89 chapters of biography, Right, 89 chapters of Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In 89 chapters of content about who Jesus is, we learn a lot about what he taught, about how he lived. We just looked at that in the, the Way of Jesus series, right? The, his rhythms of life. We learn a lot about his theology. We learn a lot about his, uh, his um, death and resurrection. We learn 
heaps about Jesus in the 89 chapters of his biographies, but in only one place does he tell us about his heart. In only one place does he tell us explicitly about the very seat of his being, the very center of what animates him, the very essence of who he is. And that's in Matthew chapter 11, the reading that we read at the beginning of this sermon. Let me remind you what he said. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Lowly and humble. They're the two words that Jesus uses to describe who he is at heart. I wonder if those are the two words that you would use to describe who God is at heart. I don't know if I would. I think I would probably more naturally, as we have said over the last couple of weeks, I would probably choose something like uh, sovereign and good or supreme and powerful or gracious and merciful or that Jesus when he's wanting to reveal to us in the only place he does this when he wants to reveal to us his very heart he says humble lowly and so I want to look at those two descriptors now and just see if we can open them up and see even more clearly the heart of God as revealed to us by Jesus in this passage. So first of all, humble. Another translation has it gentle. It's only here and in three other places in the New Testament that this word is used. So I want to go to those passages and see if they can tell us a little bit more about what Jesus means when he uses this word to describe himself. So in Matthew 5, in verse 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And again, in Matthew 21, verse 5, quoting from Zechariah 9, 9, it says this, Tell daughter Zion, See, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So humble, gentle. And again in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, when he's speaking of Christian wives, he says this, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewellery or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. What does this tell us about who God is at heart? It tells us that God isn't reactionary, he's not harsh, he's not easily exasperated. Basically, he's not the vision of God that many of us have, of a cranky, grumpy, impatient, 
figure in the heavens somewhere waiting to strike us down with a lightning bolt when we do the wrong thing or think the wrong thought. He's not just so fed up with us making the same errors over and over again. He's not any of those things. Jesus tells us, I'm not like that. I am actually humble. I am actually gentle. In Psalm 103 verse 8, it tells us among many, many passages in the Old Testament, it tells us this great line about who God is in essence. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. On Wednesday afternoon, I got a call from my wife, Renee, and she was letting me know that on the way home from school, uh, our kids were riding bikes, um, scooters um, on the way home, and Judah had come off his scooter and smacked his head on the concrete. He wasn't wearing a helmet at the time, and subsequently, as a result, he had been knocked out unconscious for a couple of minutes. Um, Praise God that it was my wife that was there with him because she was a paramedic um, before she gave herself completely to being a, a mum. And so she knew exactly what to do in the situation. We ended up getting the paramedics to come and they took him into the Royal Kids Hospital. And he was there for a little while, just sort of checking him out. And so it wasn't until 10.30, 11 o'clock at night that I took India Uh, into the Royal Children's to pick up Judah and Renee. And as they emerged from the hospital, I did what I do whenever I'm picking Judah up, whether it's from school or anywhere else. Uh, I dropped down onto one knee and just opened up my arms to him. And he ran into my arms and we embraced. And it was a beautiful moment of just being able to rejoice in the fact that he was okay and that everything was going to be okay. It's interesting that at no point from the moment he emerged from the hospital to the moment he ran into my arms, at no point did he stop and hesitate. At no point, as far as I could see, did he consider for a second that instead of having open arms, I would have a pointed finger. That instead of wanting to embrace him, I would want to discipline him. That at no point did he doubt for a second that I was for him, that I was there to embrace him. Now, I think a tragedy of our experience as Christians, if your experience is anything like mine, is that we have so contorted the vision of God presented to us here by Jesus, a God of lowliness and humility and gentleness and accessibility. We've so contorted that image that we've now constructed for ourselves a God who is just waiting to blast us for the latest error that we've committed for the latest inconvenience that we've caused him. We've constructed for ourselves a God who is... um, Well, let me read you, actually, a line from Thomas Goodwin, who is a Puritan. I didn't plan on reading this, but let me just find it 
because I think it's well worth the read. He said, uh, I'm quoting from the book you know that I'm really enjoying right now, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I'm going to quote from this a couple of times during the passage, so get used to it. Uh, he, he quotes Thomas Goodman saying, Men are apt to have contrary conceits of Christ. That is, we, we, we make him in our own image. We imagine he's something that he's not. But he tells them his disposition there in Matthew 11, the passage we're looking at, by preventing such hard thoughts of him, to allure them unto him the more. We are apt to think that he, being so holy, is therefore of a severe and sour disposition against sinners and not able to bear them. No, says he, I am meek. Gentleness is my nature and temper. The reason that Judah didn't hesitate to run into my arms and didn't think for a second that actually I would be angry with him rather than just overjoyed to see him, the reason all of that is true is because even in my brokenness and sinfulness as a father, even with my checkered history and my, my smeared track record of being loving towards him, he knows that... <laughs> In that situation, I'm overjoyed to see him and embrace him. How much more ought we to know that God himself, in gentleness and humility, in lowliness and accessibility, is desperately seeking for us to come to him and receive his open-armed embrace. Far from being a pointed finger, Jesus shows us that God is always and forever ready to welcome us with open arms. There's a passage that I found very moving in that same book that I just read from where Dane Ortland imagines a conversation between a Christian and Jesus where the Christian has all of these misgivings about whether Jesus will receive him given all of his sinfulness and brokenness. And I want to read you this interaction that he has written for us and just see if this, see if this makes sense of your experience. No, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure. Certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time. 
then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offences aren't directed toward others. They're against you. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's the gentle humility of Jesus at work. Now I want to move to talk about what he says about his lowliness. I am gentle and lowly. I am humble and lowly. And here this term overlaps with the other. And we see again in three other places in the New Testament where this term is more fully explained. So let's have a look at those passages now. In James 4, verse 6, it says, But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, to the lowly. And in Luke, 5, Luke 1, 51 to 52, Mary, with Jesus in her womb, sings this song about God's faithfulness. And she says, He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. And finally, in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, Paul writes, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble or the lowly. And these two terms overlap to give us this complete picture of God's heart, who he is in essence. And it's about both mercy and grace. It's about forgiveness and accessibility. Again, Dane Ortland describes what this term means when he says, the point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. The minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply open yourself up to him. It is all he needs. Indeed, it is the only thing he works with. So, at heart, in the essence of who God is, what you find there, according to Jesus' own testimony, is gentleness and lowliness, humility and accessibility. 
me say that again. At the very heart of who God is, revealed to us in his son Jesus and according to his own testimony, at essence, at heart, you will find gentleness and lowliness, humility and accessibility. And that, my friends, is good news. It's good news for us in every season of life, but it's particularly good news for us in this season that we find ourselves in, this season of turbulence and disorientation. I don't know about you, but this past week for me has been utterly draining. Apart from the, the, what is now the regular drainingness of COVID-19, the burden of being separated from loved ones, the burden of having to do things in a whole different realm than that which we're used to, the, the sense I have in my own, my own life of being ineffective in ministry, not being able to do the kinds of pastoral work that I would like to do, the sense that I'm not actually making any difference in anyone's life. Together with other events that have been going on this week, for many of you, you know and remember Dean Karatu and you would have heard that this past week he passed away after a battle with cancer. Just the reality and the reality of death and also the, just the wrongness of that situation. A young man with a young wife and a young daughter being taken from them. The scandal of death been weighing me down this past week as it has I know for many of you added to that the racial tensions particularly in the US but that but have been echoing around the globe the wrongness of racial tensions the, 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 I have many good friends who are right in the midst of that battle in the US, people I've worked with, particularly Afri- African-American brothers and sisters who are, I, I count as dear friends who are going through a situation there that is just heart-rending in so many different ways. And to be adding that to, our, to this kind of experience of, of turbulence, and having Judah at the ER on Wednesday and all of the regular burdens of, of life and of ministry and of marriage and of parenting, all of these things together, just I, I just feel honestly drained. I feel tired. I feel burdened. And so if what Jesus says here is true, then that is good news for tired believers. In the midst of all of this, this season that we're in, Jesus sees us. He sees me. He sees you. And he understands what we're going through. And he says to us in the midst of all of this tension and speaking out of the very essence of his being, out of his heart, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. I want to encourage you, really from this moment forward, as we continue to live in the midst of turbulence, as we continue to feel the strain of this season, I want to challenge you as I've challenged myself to go to Jesus. He says, come to me. Join me in going to him and unburdening yourself. Let him take upon himself all of the burdens that you're carrying and take from him his easy burden. Remembering all the while that at his heart he is gentle and lowly, humble and accessible. Remember from last week that he lives He is alive right now, conscious of all that you're going through, and he lives to make intercession for you. He is for you. He is with you. He is gentle. I want to pray words of blessing and benediction over us now as we go. Remembering that the power of these words to bless comes not from me or any office that I hold, but rather from the very heart of God, the gentle, humble, beneficent heart of God. And so, friends, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen.